0: Hi, I'm Denise St. Ivany. Welcome to Think Again by Macquarie. My guest today is Greg Gizzi, Head of U.S. Municipal Fixed Income at Macquarie Asset Management. Greg, when we last spoke on the show in March, you were reflecting on the milestone of one year having passed since the COVID lockdowns. We discussed how well municipal markets had done in recovery and how low interest rates might yet stick around despite early signs of reflation. You also talked about navigating reinvestment risk in the municipal markets at that time. So what's driving the muni markets now? What's driving
1: performance several weeks into Q3? Thanks for having me, Denise. And I think really there's been a continuation of a trend that we've seen uh, going back several quarters now where high net worth investors in the US are staring down the barrel of some significant government spending, expecting there to be uh, higher tax rates. And given the fact that we are in a fairly low rate environment, um, the mutual fund industry in particular is seeing record flows. So just to put that in perspective, if we were to end the year today, uh, we've seen about $65 billion of inflows into uh, tax exempt bond funds and tax exempt ETFs. Um, if we stop today, that's the third best year on record. So. Uh, investors are looking at the fixed income arena, looking at the relative value of munis and uh, you know, going back when the when the inflows started and, and have continued to add funds as we await some news on what this administration will bring forth in the form of, of tax hikes.
0: You mentioned a lot of different factors there, um, but specifically with rates near these all time lows, is there value left in the market?
1: Well, everything's relative, Denise, and I think there's a couple trends I'd like to identify that might bring to light um, some of the reasons for what we're seeing in the market. Um, First off, we we talk about uh, an environment where spreads are historically tight and we're back down near the historical lows uh, if we're using the um, Thompson MMD AAA GO scale. You know, in the ten-year segment, we're about 20 bips, for 23 bips from the all-time lows. The 30-year is only about six bips from the all-time lows. Um, and what, what you find is that you know this is an asset class where there are really two main purposes. One is to preserve capital, um, and that's first and foremost the way we approach investing. But secondly, is to optimize or maximize that tax income stream. And with rates adjusting and spreads adjusting downward, um, quite frankly, the legacy yields that you find in portfolios um, are much more attractive than what can be replicated uh, by an investor trying to buy individual bonds, per se. And, you know, that, that is not commenting on the diversification aspects either. So I think people recognize and advisors have correctly recognized that in an in a, in a environment where rates are relatively low and spreads are tight, the way to capture excess, excess yield or excess income is by investing in mutual funds. And, and I think that's been the, the primary catalyst. As far as relative valuation metrics, I think the last time we spoke, we mentioned uh, looking at uh, our below investment grade segment and how to measure that. We, what we did was we compared the yield to worst or the SEC yield, of the below investment grade category, the Bloomberg Barclays High Yield Index uh, to the AAA component of the Bloomberg Barclays um, High Yield um, Investment Grade Index. And we noted that on that metric alone, that there was still a fair, uh, fair amount of uh, spread between the all-time lows and where we were at that time. I think it was approximately 53, 54 basis points. Well, since we last spoke, that's tightened on that metric. Um, but I think the sentiment around rates has been um, you know, the extension of lower for longer, I, I think, is becoming more of a prevalent view. And in that regard, I'm going to tip my hat to our friends at Bank of America. Um, if you try to normalize high yield spreads and, and, and the yield to worst um, by just simply taking those and dividing them by the current yield, on that metric, we're not at all time tights. So again, I said a matter of perspective, I think based on your view, if you're in the reflation camp and you think that, um, you know the type of recovery numbers we've seen in particular segments of the economy are here to stay, then you certainly would be an advocate of that. Um, But if you believe what we tend to believe, which is many of these factors are going to prove to be transitory, I think the concept of significantly leaving this lower for longer environment um, is one that I think is going to prove challenging for the market. Um, That's not to say that we can't see rates drift higher. Quite frankly, um, I think the market would like to see that. Investors would like to see higher yields and wider spreads. I think given the technical in the marketplace, that's going to be a challenge, particularly for the next two months uh, where I think the amount of money returned to investors relative to the amount of supply is, is imbalanced. That's not going to happen till the fall where we get an opportunity to see better, better yields or better spreads.
0: Well, there was a lot of reasons there just to keep in touch with you because things are constantly evolving and we want to keep that pulse. So thanks for that. Uh, insight into what's happening with rates. But uh, to touch back on one of the first points you made, I think is really vital when we think about, again, choices for investors to have that capital um, preservation provided along with um, a nice income stream. And as you mentioned, you're finding the best income stream in the fund choice rather than the individual bond choice. So, that's where you're seeing so much of the uh, flows coming into the mutual fund space.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a relatively simple concept, right? Uh, Just to to break it down and be a little little more succinct, what we're saying is if you take our existing portfolio and you look at the amount of yield of any of our strategies is throwing off, um, if you take that same exact portfolio, but you had brand new money you were spending at current yields and spreads, the amount of distribution yield would be down significantly, right? So uh, in, in essence, it's a way by buying mutual funds that have opportunistically bought um, you know, those higher alpha generating credits during the right time periods um, and you've managed to keep them in the portfolio, um, the amount of income you're throwing off relative to your peers should be relatively high. And and really, that's I think that's how how FAs should look at this space. Even if you believe rates are going nowhere, how do I optimize my 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 uh, return for my investor? Well, there's two ways to get return. One is price return, where you're buying low and selling high, right? The old adage. Um, the other one is to earn more, is to is to get more distributable income, and that's our focus. That's what we focus on, and we do that through, uh, you know very detailed bottom-up fundamental credit analysis where we are making um, investments on issuers that we believe will perform over the long run and do the right thing for shareholders over the long run.
0: Very good. Yeah, appreciate that insight. All right, let's talk infrastructure. Is this finally the big moment for infrastructure development in the U.S.? What are the key elements of proposed legislation legislation that could impact the municipal market?
1: Yeah, you're touching on a major focal point right now for the markets. And I think it's significant from a number of uh, vantage points. Um, You know, that supply demand technical, which has been helping to drive returns, you know, based on the composition of what an infrastructure plan might look like, um, that dynamic could change. So, for instance, if we got an, uh, an infrastructure program that was predominantly focused, Uh, with a Build America bond-like program that we saw during the great financial crisis where that debt's going to be taxable. In essence, that infrastructure, the reality of that infrastructure program probably creates a better opportunity for taxable municipal investors, but it's really going to subtract or delete from the amount of available tax exempt instruments that are that are around, so it's just going to bolster the demand portion of that, right? With less tax exempt supply around, um, the other thing is, and you know, this isn't a a, a call about politics, but certainly the way um, they're attempting to pass these deals matters because um, there are there is only one attempt that the the administration can have during this fiscal year to do. Uh, an infrastructure bill through the process of reconciliation. And reconciliation, um, where they'll only need the 50 Democratic votes in the Senate and then the vice president's vote to to turn legislation in in their favor, um, that's something that uh, is being challenged right now by a couple of the Democratic senators. So I'd like to think, Denise, that, yes, this could be the point in time where we see a significant attempt at this country trying to improve infrastructure, but it's falling on the same, uh, you know, problem that has existed for a very long time, which is how do we agree to finance this? And I think that, you know, there's there's there are two types of bills being put forth. One is your traditional infrastructure bill, which there is a bipartisan agreement on some of the aspects of that bill. Um, and the other is a, a more uh, a newer, I should say, definition of infrastructure, which I, I believe the Biden administration is it wants or thinks the best chance of that passing is through reconciliation. Now reconciliation requires that those that money spent be accounted for through offsets, right? So that's the next significant, Part of the equation for the muni investor. So the quickest way to do that is to pay for that through tax hikes. And if you're going to do that, you know, what are we talking about? The highest tax bracket going back up to where it was pre-Trump tax cuts? Most likely. Are we talking about a significant increase in the corporate tax rate? Yes. But again, there seems to be some disagreement on the the Democratic side as to what that rate should be. So a lot of moving parts. I think the default reaction by the markets much like it was waiting for the stimulus package to finally be passed in March that stretched back remember all the way to the late third fourth quarter of last year um, the market is forecasting that something will get done um, and and I think rightfully so because I do believe something will be done I'm not sure how large uh, how significant um, n- nor will it favor taxable or tax exempts at this point but uh, I think there will be uh, there is enough momentum for something to get done on infrastructure.
0: Well, again, another reason to stay in touch and see how this all unfolds. And like you said, though, you have to make some educated um, guesses, if you will. Um, But nonetheless, it still seems like regardless of what happens, munis are going to be a good spot. Because of so many other factors, so you can't you can't do it just on the infrastructure uh, piece alone.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can think of several instances, and 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 I think investors that listen to this call are smart enough to recognize that this is really a captive audience, particularly the tax exempt side of our business, where you know if you use Federal Reserve data, seventy one percent of the market is owned by individuals, right? So it is a true mom and pop market, and we know historically that that results in often very inefficient times, right? And sometimes. Uh, those sell-offs represent really good opportunities, which is quite frankly the way we viewed COVID. Uh, And sometimes these sell-offs last a a significant period of time. Um, But I think that, you know, from my perspective, um, you know, the the worst prognostications of what COVID was going to bring, which was, uh, you know, a mini version of Meredith Whitney back in 2010 suggesting that we were going to see hundreds of billions of dollars in default, um, I think that once again, um, the the tax base and the um, source of revenue, really when you you look back at COVID for the most part was unimpacted. And so for us, um, while certainly challenge credits or stress credits that were heading into COVID, the reality became even more challenging um, certainly good credits we felt that were just selling off because everything was being sold represented an opportunity to buy something that was dislocated. And I want to give you an interesting statistic that just came out that highlights what I'm talking about. So we've just gotten um, stats out of the Bureau of Economic Analysis, the BEA, and this is the third consecutive quarter where all 50 states had positive GDP. Think about that after what wow. we been through. All 50 states. It's happened only one time in two, the second quarter of 2014, and that was only for one quarter. We've had three consecutive quarters. So, again, it, 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 when you look at the tax, uh, you know, really where where the bulk of revenues are coming from at the state level, it's about income tax uh, primarily. Income tax and sales tax represent you know, close to 85% of all all revenue. And it's even more pronounced at the local level where real estate represents, um, you know, roughly uh, about 83% of taxes at the local level, right? So when you think about what was the one shining sector that we saw all throughout COVID and it benefited from low rates and affordability, right? It was real estate and real estate prices have gone through the roof. So assessed valuations, are high, and that means tax revenues are high. So, I think that that the market, I, I hope, will start to learn that you know we do get these by nature of our asset class and its structure. We do get these pretty uh, tumultuous periods, but oftentimes they can represent uh, good opportunities for investors that that are looking down the road, that are not looking at their. You know what's going to happen over the next two, three, four weeks, but what's is this a good opportunity for long-term investors to get involved? And I and I think that that's really for us uh, was what we thought COVID represented. Obviously, we we could not predict when a vaccine was going to come, and uh, you know certainly the duration of of the shutdowns and all of those factors, you couldn't predict that. But when we thought about the general structure of the market, when we thought about interest rates and what a COVID economy uh, and a shutdown would mean for interest rates, um, we came out basically, let's, let's use our credit to really discern those credits that we thought were going to be really strong credits, make it through covid um, and 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 I just want to remind investors, right? The one thing we got during this sell-off that we've never seen before was fiscal fiscal aid, right? Direct fiscal aid to state and local governments, and 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 targeted aid to specific sectors. So we talked on the last uh, on the last um, uh, podcast we did about how there was a uh, uh, inverse proportional relationship between. Uh, those that were most impacted by COVID performing the, the worst, right? Essentially what we've seen now for, for now three or four consecutive quarters is the flip side of that, where those, those sectors that were most challenged as we've gotten aid, as balance sheets have, have, uh, have improved with economies opening up, um, we're starting to see that reverse. So um, certainly curve and credit are, are things that have worked and we expect them to continue to work through the course of the year. Uh, but certainly the, you know, the market, I think as a whole, is looking for a better opportunity to invest.
0: Yeah, no, I think that was great um, reminders about this market in the space. Um, so as we finish up, let's just go back to your experience as a portfolio manager. And maybe just as we close out what kind of market is this right now? And is there any sort of, you know, last guidance you want to, you know, give us in terms of characterizing the opportunity set that's available?
1: Yeah, I think, I think just to put it in generic terms, I used this in a meeting uh, we had several weeks ago. Um, we knew this would be a market from a PM's perspective where you had to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. I mean, there's still so many unknowns. Um, certainly, uh, you know, from a global perspective, not every country is in the same position as the U.S. with respect to vaccinations. Not every country, uh, from an economic standpoint, had has fared as well as the U.S. has. Right. So that's going to that's going to impact international flows, and I, I can tell you that. You know, there's been a tremendous amount of money that it has looked to the U.S. for safe haven. And we continue to see investors looking for long duration, quite frankly, in our marketplace. Um, but but I think at the end of the day, this is a market where, you know, we, we have the challenge of lower rates. Right. And that and I think you mentioned earlier in the podcast that we ended with our biggest concern being reinvestment risk. I mean, that truly is my keep me up at night theme, right? Because as, uh, and and again, this is going to tie into a potential infrastructure bill if we get advanced refundings back, right? As issuers are able to refinance their checkbooks, right? They can take a higher cost deal out of the marketplace and now bring a brand new deal, a refunding deal that is significantly lower cost Lower cost, by the way, means less opportunity for investors, right? As they do that, the, the overall yield rotates downward, right? So what we've done is really focused on making sure that uh, we're keeping as much yield as possible in the portfolios for as long, long a period of time. Um, but the market is, is certainly, from a valuation point, it's being challenged, right? As I said, we're approaching all-time lows, uh, in rates from a, a, a Thompson, MMD, AAA, GO scale perspective. Um, credit spreads uh, by some metrics are, are back to tights. Um, but I think again, the backdrop of what investors are looking at, um, I think that's gonna continue for a while. So it's a market, Denise, where you you have to really, I mean, we always are very diligent about about us determining what represents value for shareholders and what does not. But certainly as spreads get tighter and yields get lower, uh, it becomes even more important. And, you know, we use the expression that at this point, things are fighting their way into our portfolios. That simply means that the the yields, the opportunities that are represented by current yields don't match what's already in the portfolio, right? So um, we we are staying invested. Uh, We think the market continues to see positive technicals. Um, but certainly, the hope is with news around an infrastructure bill, which I believe is most likely going to be in the September, October timeframe. Um, there is potentially a better opportunity. Um, again, you know we're not we're not in the uh, in the uh, inflation camp where things are going to get out of control and the Fed's behind. So we're not looking for a massive change in the structure of rates. Could they, again, could they be higher? They could be higher, certainly. Um, But I think what we've witnessed here over the last week or so is that reflation trade um, being penalized, quite frankly, and again, Variants across the globe. Remember, investors, even though we're talking about munis, have to think of our market in terms of being impacted by global factors. Um, you know, we're in the best shape of most countries out there. So you've got to always keep that in the back of your mind. But from a credit perspective, when we, we mentioned this last time, the general credit concerns, which quite frankly we thought were overblown, those are in the rearview mirror as evidenced by every state growing GDP for three quarters in a row. Um, you know, you've got states like California, which received a tremendous amount of aid um, looking to make income distributions to people, right? So uh, rainy day funds are, are, are in surplus mode. Uh, some of the pension, some of the uh, poster children on the pension side are making uh, larger payments or additional payments, all good things from a credit standpoint. So fundamentally, from a credit standpoint, muni market's in good shape. Um, you know, the the concern that I have that keeps me up at night is that reinvestment risk.
0: Well, thanks, Greg, for a very comprehensive view on both, you know, the the markets, interest rates, how you're looking at investing, you know, and I, I think the main thing you said there was get comfortable and being uncomfortable for just a bit, for just a bit longer. Right. And I think we can do that. And again, we'll we'll stay in touch with you to get continued guidance on this muni market. And
2: thanks for spending time with us today.
1: Thank you, Denise. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to everybody.
2: This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only, and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, Reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors LP, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts, Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.